0: The God of Atheists by Stefan Molyneux. Chapter 54, The Boy Band at the Funk Station Linus was the head of programming at the local funk station. He was skinny, mop-haired, thin-goateed, and was partial to bowling shirts, two-toned shoes, and near-constant motion. Funk stations are pomo-television channels. They rake the muck of human vanity, but make fun of their rakes, which is okay. They are the media reincarnation of every clique people couldn't get into in high school. They have pretty people dance shows with outsiders pressed against the cold glass, cheering in hopeless devotion. The motto of any self-respecting funk station? There is no truth, so let's be beautiful. They believe everything is permitted as long as it is self-referential. In ads for upcoming movies, they say things like, Come on, folks, you have to watch this so we can afford The Simpsons. They air aggressively underclothed fashion shows and hint at the masturbation potential. Guy's not in. News anchors sit on the edge of their desks like teachers who used to be hippies. Forget the text, man. Let's just rap. They are alternative, cutting-edge, with cap teeth and great hair. Linus was obsessed with grabbing eyeballs, and to keep them glued, he used every trick to induce a kind of inert epilepsy. The Watcher could remain motionless. All the seizures were on the screen. Linus had been brought up in a media household. There was a TV in the bathroom. He had even lobbied successfully to get one in his treehouse. He and his friends were all media literate, which meant visual media, and so was a contradiction, and knew the tunes and words to every conceivable commercial. Once a daycare teacher had taken a group of them to the local Coke factory, and a marketing representative had played commercials after the tour, They had all sung along, and the man's eyes had positively glowed. Through all the comings and goings of Linus's nummies, one great eye had remained fixed on him. The glaring television never blinked. It lacked even the static sleep of the TVs his parents had watched at his age. It even seemed to grow with him, increasing in size and stature, until by his mid-teens it dominated an entire wall of the basement and was attached to a sound system so powerful that the subwoofer, especially during action movies, could actually make him burp. The quickness and impatience of Linus' generation of media junkies forestalled the gathering of any wisdom. They were wildly competitive, quick, cynical, funny, and rootless. Some part of them really believed that no valid knowledge had been generated before the advent of the visual media, These people, if they went to Hollywood, made movies which often spent a thousand times more on special effects than on the script. They tired easily and so needed a lot of stimulation. They often got depressed in middle age. Most of them were fanatical about diversity to the point that all the beautiful women they hired were of different racial origins. Linus brought Al and the boy band into his tiny, cluttered office and then changed his mind and took them to an empty morning show set where they all sat on deep, baggy couches. We want the message to be right in the medium, said Linus rapidly. We don't want to pretend we found you busking at Young and Bloor. You're a product. We want to present you as such. Can we show you our barcodes? asked Gerald, rolling up his sleeve. Linus favored him with a scant smile. You must be the Ringo. Al smiled at Gerald warningly. Uh, We're still working on what he is. So you've seen the photos now in the flesh? What do you think? Linus regarded them. Justin, right? Justin nodded. Uh, Very ski bum, very healthy pot user, very wise beyond your years. But you're not the man of the group. That's you? He turned to Ian. Yes, I'm the he-bitch, said Ian. Sorry, the mature one. So, we'll introduce you as just that, the mature one, like the Spice Girls. They were better known by their nicknames. I like the boy band thing, though. We introduce you as the boy band, boy band, and put your names up along with your types. He held up his hands. Ian, the mature one. Nice. High branding, irony coming from a corporation. You're signed, right? Uh, we just got the single, said Al. I like the content. What you want me to be, nice. Clear for those in the know. So, who's the spokesboy? I am, said Justin. You okay? asked Linus, squinting at the boy's dark eyes. You're going to have to wallpaper over those circles, man. The spokesboy has to be carefree. Your success is a surprise. Like, you could be a banker, too. You're committed, but not obsessed. You're ambitious for what? What are your causes? Causes? Echoed Justin. Well, what kind of boy band are you? party or Goody? Both, said Al immediately. Linus smiled thinly. Okay, that's the standard dubious answer, but maybe I can trip over something you do, some good in the community. No, said Justin. We'll see, said Al. No, repeated Justin. We're doing this straight, but without all the icing. No causes. We're a boy band without a background. To be filled with fantasy, we have to be empty. Hmm, frowned Linus, then turned to Al. I don't know if Kierkegaard here should be your spokesboy. Is there going to be an interview? Asked Al. Maybe we might have room for one. It works like this. We've got an applause meter on the screen. You get the most. You get the couch. Nice cheese. Admired, Top. Thanks. Linus sat back and clasped his hands behind his head. So let's see you shake your money-makers. Al "'Scout, what, no warm-up, no mics?' "'Let's do it naked,' smiled Linus, "'snapping his fingers behind his hair. "'Come on.' "'Al nodded slowly. "'Okay, boys, let's rock!' cried Ian. "'They giggled, jumping up. "'Al sighed, vaguely remembering "'what it was like to have springy knees "'after sitting on a couch for ten minutes. "'The boys got into position. "'The backups began their joyous shoe-whoppery, "'and Justin walked forward, threw them, "'and opened his arms wide "'and sang with glorious clarity.' I want to be what you want me to be. The next few lines were a tad shaky, and then Justin's voice slipped into a sudden growl. Hold up, cried Linus. Hold up, we're on a naive demographic, Nirvana. What's with all the angst? "Uh, We're working on that, said Al, feeling a prickle of sweat. You growl like that, we'll foil your backups. Just look like Courtney Love gone cheerleader. Sorry, said Justin, nerves. No problem, said Linus, leaning back again. Start me up. They began again, and Justin got a little further, and then a tear escaped an eye and ran down his cheek, looking like a silver thread under the lights. His voice thickened achingly. His friends threw him some concerned glances, but sang on professionally. "'Holy shinned," murmured Linus in wonder. "'Is that for real?' Al shifted uncomfortably. "'Does he do that every time?' "'It's... Man, he's gone. That's amazing. It's so Paul, but so John as well. He's quite talented.' "'No one will believe it,' whispered Linus. "'A boy band called Boy Band with a weepy singer? "'Cute, vulnerable, snarly? "'Fuck, it's like watching the snuggle bear go postal.' "'Justin's voice soared with the keening loss of a musein. "'The final oo ah of the song resonated and suddenly stopped, echoing. "'A few technicians looked on. "'Bravo, man,' said a fat cameraman, nodding his head slowly. "'You liked it, Jens?' asked Linus, "'turning his head from the depths of the baggy couch. "'Yeah.' Good, because you're about as close to our demographic as Methuselah. Fuck you, Linus laughed. Justin, that was great. Keeping his eyes on the band and nodding, he whispered to Al, Better milk that cow before it tips, dude. Al crossed himself surreptitiously. Amen to that, brother. Chapter 55 Terry and Pierre meet Bill and Carl. Dave patted the bank statement as he drove back to the office after his lunch with Banu. Soon to be a cool and sweet million. Man, that's more sperm than I produce in a year. Entering his office, he sat in his chair, swung round uh, uh, once, and culled his messages. Dave, it's Ted Howell from Cyrex. Listen, I hate to be the bearer, but we've got real issues with your software. I don't know if it's a beta thing, but it seems like everywhere I click, I get an error. And I've looked and looked, but damned if I can find half the features we paid for. I I tried calling Terry, but I haven't heard back from him. Give me a shout, Dave. Talk me down from the ledge. Beep. Dave stood up, his hands in brute fists. Oh, those little fuckers, you give them a little rope. He strode into the office where Terry and Pierre sat working on the database builder. Two new employees had been hired in the interim, a support person, Pradeep, and a quality tester, John. He took a deep breath. Terry, what is going on with Cyrix? Terry turned around. Uh, they, they, they got their beta last week. Thursday? Yeah. And how did it go? Oh, okay, I think. We, we clicked around some and I showed them some of the features. Dave folded his arms. Well, they're not very happy. Oh, okay. Um, why? He says there are an unacceptable number of errors in the program. That half the features are missing. I mean, uh, are the errors like a crash, or errors like you can't do this? Who knows? Who cares? The important thing is that the client is not happy. You have to get out there and turn this thing around. I, I've got a demo of the database builder to send out to FedEx. That can wait. They're presenting it tomorrow. And and what what features are missing? He didn't say. The problem I have, Terry, is not in the details, but in the fact that a client of ours seems to have no idea how to work a system specifically designed for them. Is there a manual? No, th- there's nothing in the budget for a manual. Lord, Terry, help me help this guy. I just want the son of a bitch as a reference. Terry paused for a moment then, nodded slowly. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go out there. Great, great. Now, listen, I have some news for all of you. We're going to open some offices in the U.S. There was a pause. Okay, said Terry. Where, said Pierre. Tentatively, Houston, New York, and Chicago, I think. There are a lot of potential clients in the South. You have to be in New York, and Chicago just works because it's within a few hours of everything. Terry smiled. Holy. Pierre. How does the idea of heading up your own office sound? Pierre grinned. Well, well, good, I guess. Well, it's going to happen. We're opening in under a month. Where do you live? Apartment. Young and Egg. Rented? Yeah. Break your lease. Today. Let me know how much it costs. Listen. Since our less than stellar performance at CitiCorp, I've contacted two old friends, Bill Streichman and Carl Soupstone, and they've agreed to come on board as sales reps. For what? Asked Terry. The environmental system or the database builder? Whatever we throw at them, grinned Day flopping in a chair. We're going to spread a network of sales reps across the south and the east, opening up offices as we open up territories. Mm, i got to tell you, I love this part of the business. We just clean up our existing messes, get the products finished, and it's like the cars just begin to drive themselves off the lot. We're going to raise the price point of the environmental system to 100k, and I think we'll introduce the database builder at 499 US. Tell me, Terry boy, I've been getting a lot of interest in how this thing would work with Oracle. Any thoughts? Terry frowned. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it 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 would be tricky. We need to keep that on our radar, at least. Dave leaned forward, rubbing his hands together. The hard part is over, boys and girls. Most of the slog is in the startup now. We're gaining momentum. We've cleared the trees, and the sky's the limit. He left, and Pierre looked at Terry. Holy shit, he said 23 in my own office Terry smiled uh, We got a lot of work to do before then I'd better phone Ted to see what his problem is Uh, Mr. Howell? Terry Coleman, how are you? Uh, I'd I, like to come in and go over the software again Dave, Dave said you had some questions Oh, okay. okay sorry, okay, problems when, when would be a good time? Well, well, well sure, we, we could do it by phone Do you ha- Do you have a few minutes now? Sure, I'll, I'll I'll wait. Okay, you get an error starting the software. Can you tell me what that is? Workgroup not found. Okay, okay. I'd like you to open Explorer. Explorer. Ah, um, uh, uh, do you have a little key on your keyboard with the Windows logo? Bottom left or right? No. Uh. Okay. Uh, Can you click on Start? Uh, Bottom left. Great. Now, uh, can you click on Programs? Uh, Is there a little icon called Explorer? No? No? Okay. Okay, uh, is there a little shaded arrow at the bottom of your list of programs? Great. uh, Move your mouse over that, but don't click. Excellent. Can you see the Windows Explorer icon? Great. Click on that. Do you see a list of files on your screen? Okay. Can you click on Program Files and then Emus and tell me what you see? Is there a file called System MDW? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Now, now go to the Start menu and click on Program Files and then Emus and then Emus again. Okay. Good. Good. Now, does the error come up? What do you see? Oh, all right. Uh, type type your login password. Uh, what happens now? Good, it's opening now, huh? I wonder why. How do you normally open the program? Oh, okay. How did you get the shortcut on your desktop? Who's who's that? Is he from IT? Ah, okay. Well, well, you have to open it using our shortcut, Mr. Howell, because it has to know where the password file is. No problem. No. That's not really an error. You can't search for text there because it's a date field. Yeah, it could be more user-friendly, but that's Microsoft's error message. We can't really change that. Oh, I don't really remember discussing that feature, but I'll check my notes. Was that something you talked about? with? Oh, okay, I'll I'll check with Dave. If that shadow doesn't print, we can't do much about it. Windows and your printer handle all the printing. We just issue one command. Maybe get your IT guy to check for new printer drivers. Oh, well, well, is there anyone else who can help you? Oh, those reports can't do watermarks. I know they're on the word processing documents you gave us, but this isn't a word processor. It doesn't support that. Sure, sure, I understand, but, but Dave. Finally, after about half an hour of troubleshooting. Oh, I think I understand. You have another copy of the database running on your computer, and you're editing the record there, and that's why you can't edit it here. Password timeout? No, that's definitely not in my notes. I'd remember that, because the system can't do that. The login happens before our code ever runs. Well, what about your other databases in this format? Well, how did they find out about this one? Oh, the shortcut. Sure, I know about security standards, but... Ooh, well, that seems quite extreme, but I'll I'll check into what we can do. They talked a while longer than Terry hung up the phone. His ear felt extruded, and his heart was pounding. Fucking, fucking assholes. Why the fuck do clients become such assholes? He looked down at his list. It was over 30 items. The great vortex of business promises had him in its icy grip. Everyone had said something to create an impression of what was going to be done. Expectations had been raised far beyond the possible, and everyone felt comfortable in their cloud castles until gravity came a-calling. He went into dave's office what's up grinned dave i-i just talked to ted everything smoothed over you're going to send him flowers well there are a number of things i-i didn't hear about until now and I, I don't know how i'm gonna dave's grin widened sure sit down make yourself comfortable let's sort this out terry took a deep breath Uh, Well, he wants the program to force password changes every 30 days and and make sure they have some text, some numbers, and that the same password isn't used for five changes and some other stuff, and it it can't be done by our system. But the system is secure, right? You told me that. The system is secure, but but that means you have to have a password to log in, and it's encrypted, but, but we don't have the power to force users to change their passwords. Why not? How can a system be secure if we can't do that? This is a little database, Dave. It's not that sophisticated. We have no way of knowing if a password has been changed or when. The the, the database engine handles all that. By the time our code runs, the login has already happened. Dave frowned. I'm confused. So you're saying that the system is not secure? Yes, it is. You can't get in without a password, but, but it doesn't have all these features Ted wants. Where are they listed? I've never seen them. Let's check the paperwork. Dave buzzed his secretary. Can you bring us the Cyrix contract? He turned to Terry. What else? Well, he says that the system should talk to his email and export his to-do items there. Yeah, you told me that the database was integrated into the productivity suite. Well, it can export to a word processor and a spreadsheet, but not to an email or, 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 or a planning program. But the planning program is in the productivity suite. I have it on my computer. So Ted asks me if the system is integrated into it. I say, sure. But it's not. We never showed that in the demo. And the Sketch League is not in the standard productivity suite. Have you ever seen that feature? Hell, I haven't seen half the things Eugenius has come up with. How difficult is it to integrate the system into the planning system? I, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. The secretary came in and handed over the contract. Right, right, one thing at a time, said Dave, flipping through it. There was a paragraph about. Ah, here. Security standards. The EMIS will conform to all of Cyrix's corporate security standards. What are those standards? Christ, they're not the military. I mean, we're not storing trade secrets, right? No, but we access employee records from their mainframe. So what are their security standards? asked Dave. I'm just getting them piecemeal, said Terry, rubbing his face. Who knows? So I'll email Ted and ask him to fax us over their security standards, said Dave, turning to his computer. Dave, said Terry, I'll, I'll need... Listen, said Dave, I have about a jillion phone calls to make this afternoon. Write up your issues, send them to me. I'll have a powwow with Ted, figure out where we can meet in the middle. Don't worry, he's a client, Terry, not a mortal enemy. Look, uh, also Pierre is wondering what sort of salary he's going to get in Houston so he can decide on what sort of place to look for. Check, said Dave, making a note on a piece of paper entirely too quickly for Terry's happiness. Terry nodded and left. In the hallway, he pressed his forehead against the cool wall. Mmm, nice. The new salespeople flew up the next day and met with the technical team. Carl was a tall, crusty engineer, a New Englander with a gray buzz cut and a voice like a buzzsaw set to snarl. Bill was a short, twitchy, balding chain smoker who had held various middle management positions in the sales field. Both of them definitely knew what Was what? The important thing, said Carl, interrupting the technical presentation for about the twelfth time, is to put yourself in the client's shoes. They don't care how things work as long as they do work. With all due respect to Carl, said Bill, twirling his pen through his twitchy fingertips like a magic trick, they're also looking for a product which makes their jobs easier and means... That means processing paperwork more efficiently. Most of the contacts I have in the field say the same thing over and over, just help with my paperwork. That's what this really comes down to. I think that what we're talking about here is document management, boomed Carl with a teeth-gritting combination of loudness and slowness. Documents are how 90% of our clients spend 90% of their time. Uh, we, we don't have any document management in this system, said Terry. Now that's why you're in tech, smiled Carl. You would never say that to a client. A client wants to know that you understand what is important to him. Features can almost be added, am I right? Asked Bill, but knowing what to add, that's the trick. And when, added Carl significantly. Bell is my esteemed colleague, but we have agreed to disagree on certain approaches. Bell believes that you should talk about the technical direction. I believe that you really need to hold the client's hands. Take this problem of access, for instance. Terry frowned. W- what problem? Carl grinned. Well, access is not what people want to hear when they ask, what's this thing written in? They want to hear Oracle, but they don't want to pay Oracle. So you don't say access. You say Visual Basic. But it's not written in VB, said Pierre. Tech people would spot that in a second. Ah, now here is where you can learn something, winked Carl. We all know that, but what you don't know is that I'm not just some tech-hick salesman. I have a master's in engineering from MIT, and I've done my fair share of programming in my time. I've seen this code. It looks like VB, right? It's quite similar, said Pierre. It's called VBA, actually, said Terry, which stands for uh, Visual Basic for Applications. Exactly, Carl jabbed his finger on the table. So you say that this program is written in VBA, and if you ask them what that means, you say visual basic for applications, which will comfort them, but you never ever say access. But the back end is access, said Pierre. I disagree, said Carl, leaning back. There was a pause. Terry cocked his head. Uh, Carl laughed. It sounded like a handful of gravel sliding down a tin roof. You see, you're tech guys, so you think in this little box. We say this emiss is available in the database of your choice. Access for small installations, SQL Server for larger, or Oracle for enterprise-wide applications. Okay, said Terry. Bill nodded rapidly. I mean, if we charge a quarter million US for an Oracle installation, are you telling me that we can't make money, are you? "Yes, see, said Carl, it's all about managing perception. You never tell a lie, it's all a matter of focus. That's the value I bring to the table. Clients want you to make their decisions easier for them. And once they're working with you, it's not impossible to get extra money for extra work. It's like a marriage, said Carl. You get hitched, and you, you, you work in it. Dave burst into the boardroom notebook under his arm. Oh, boys, he cried. We've got an artistic genius in the building. Ah, Davy B, smiled Carl. Always a calming influence. Dave set his notebook down. Terry, hook this thing up to the overhead. Terry fiddled with the cables, always, always remembering the presentation from hell. And then a picture of Dave came up on the wall. This is the advertisement, said Dave, grinning from ear to ear. It was a full-length portrait of Dave with the following text. David Bugle, CEO of EMIS Systems, would like to thank the following major corporations for their consideration of the EMIS system. A bulleted list of all the corporations they had phoned followed. What do you think? Nice, said Carl. Professional. Good image. But you need contact information for Bill and me. Addresses of the new offices. Something like, to arrange a personal demonstration, please contact the sales manager at one of our regional offices. Why, why why, not have a picture of the whole company? asked Terry. What, all seven of us? asked Dave. Sure, buy from us. We operate out of the back of a van. Put my house down as a regional office, said Carl. A New England address never hurts. You don't want to play up the Canadian angle, said Bill. Yeah, said Carl. Don't put Town Toronto as the head office. Make it another regional office. And what are you going to do about the website, asked Bill. I've got a kid on it, said Dave. Friend of a friend of my son's. He's good. What's happening with the website, asked Harry sharply. He'd written the first one. Dave shrugged. Nothing much. Just needs to be spruced up. Needs graphics. Better graphics. The history of the company. Clientless. I'll also need some idea of how we could tie all of our products together. An environmental suite. Something like that. Everyone loves an integrated product, says Bill. Dave turned and smiled at his electric image. Now, lunch, ladies? Terry frowned. Uh, we have some more stuff to do. I think we've earned it, winked Dave, getting up slowly. All work and no play, eh? Chapter 56. Alder's Decision One afternoon, two weeks after his interview with Gordon, Alder sat in his office and stared at a brown envelope, a dull helium wonder in his mind. I started this as sort of a joke, an experiment, just toying with the idea, just to see how it translated. But it seemed to work in a way that was hard to understand. It was fascinating. It was never going to see the light of day, but nonetheless, footnotes began to spring behind me. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, the choice had gone from a doodle to a drawing to a work of art. But no decision had been made along the way, no concrete commitment to action. But the choice drew closer, with each reference, each translation, each convoluted twist of phrase. It started as nothing and grew into something, and then it seemed inevitable. Free will is in the details, the tiny choices at the beginning of things. It really wasn't so hard. The idea was not beyond rescuing, but it had to be salvaged from all that medieval rationalism. The idea was saved, sir, but the patient died. Titles began swirling around in his head. The colon fulcrum of modern academia. Poetic title, Academic Explanation. He had a few on a scratch pad. Semioticist socialism and Lyotardist narrative. The dialectic of reality, neotextual theory, Derridaist reading, and sub-dialectic narrativity. Dialectic narratives, realism and semioticist post-capitalist theory. Conceptual narratives, subtextual objectivism and capitalist post-structuralist theory. Post-cultural capitalism Nihilism and neo-deconstructivist capitalist theory. Tweak. Tweak. Aldous Pen had flown on mighty foggy wings. Change. Democracy to Western assumptions. Reason to enlightenment proceduralism. Totalitarianism to globalism. Capitalism to the logic of multinational expansionism. Logic to consistency with a subliminal viewpoint get rid of the big four philosophers, find alternative thinkers, throw in a few scare quotes when words just can't be changed. So he labored on this work late at night, and after two weeks with some serious alterations, it stood on different legs. If you can take the picture quickly enough, he thought, a hippo can stand on stilts. The evidence of the census was a problem. Gordon's uncertainty principle that all operations of consciousness were susceptible to error, was easy enough. That was a central tenet of postmodernism. The problem was the argument that the mind was prone to error, but that it could be corrected by reference to the senses. Bringing sensual evidence into Pomo arguments was an oddly disjointed action, like trying to compare a Picasso portrait to an actual person. Alder decided in the end, well, not so much decided as allowed, to risk it and talk about the Western obsession with the validity of sense experience, which seemed bitchy enough to stand. The problem of religion still haunted him, but he felt that eliminating the arguments for the validity of the senses would take care of any threats to God. He talked about the semiotics of the cultural other instead, which should be enough to fill any curious theologians. Well, it's all over and done with now, he thought, It's all done but the sending, the commitment to action, the fork in the road that can never be revisited. He suddenly felt very sad. It was a deep, deep ache, somewhere down in his heart's darkest pumping places. Poor boy. Something might be saved. He shook his head then. What the hell? Ideas can't be owned, just their expression, and there's no doubt that the expression is damn different. He just gave me a potential destination. I carved my own road. He thought of Cat Larry's job then, the job and a faculty dinner with his family. A stab of rage at his son's wide, curious face. See? See? A new baby, a new life, a new house. Students racing to him, jostling outside his door, might have to flee by the window like Indiana Jones. All belief in faith is a lie. I just have to have a little faith. Is that so hard to imagine, even for a modern dry brain like me? People believe in reincarnation, resurrection, UFOs. I can't believe in myself. Something very primitive arose in him. Something face-painted and heavily pierced. Stone Age hunters did not weep over the feelings of a mammoth. My God, I have become a sad, spineless specimen. Power is what you take. Write what you define. He thought of Stephen again, of his son's stinging words. Dad, I think you are pretending to teach something you do not understand. His face twisted in the growing dark. Who says I don't understand it? Alter picked up the envelope, dropped it in his mail basket, left the office, locked it, then checked his tour twice before going downstairs and driving home chapter 57 bill and carl make a promise the client seemed very interested and this was throwing terry off there were a lot of interruptions he was used to interruptions from bill and carl the salespeople they would generally rouse themselves to interrupt a technical explanation with some gripping and innovative business comments such as The most important thing here is not to just satisfy, but delight the users, and that's what we are committed to. If the software flow follows the existing business practices, it would be much easier for the users to use. The key thing is to get the right information to the right user in a timely fashion. The core of project success is limiting variables you can't manage. The unknown. We are committed to rad. A rapid application development, because that allows us to develop software rapidly and without errors. There were many other such comments. Terry and the client's tech guys would sometimes catch each other's eyes, and Terry would be tempted to say something like, the important thing is that the code compiles and executes correctly. We aim to focus not on crashing the server or deleting files randomly. We are committed to creating software that is useful. To you. We aim to deliver a system that adds value. All right, said Lyle, a thin-faced and caustic man clearly in love with being demanding. Now, according to your RFP response I received, what, last Friday? You are working on a web, what, extension, add-on, a net solution, certainly. Now tell me about that. Bill and Carl leaned forward as one, nodding energetically. Terry frowned. Web solution. Carl leaned forward. What we are aiming to do, Lyle, is explore the various technologies available to extend the desktop interface of the EMIS system to a browser-independent architecture. Bill nodded some more. We are fully cognizant of the need to reproduce the essential web experience in the EMIS paradigm. What language are you using? Asked Lyle, narrowing his eyes, scenting blood. Terry blushed. Uh, well, well I, I would imagine ASP is the closest to VBA. How much of the application are you expecting to port over? Carl grinned. We're looking at providing core data entry functionality within four to six weeks. We're still reviewing what other features to bring over. That decision, of course, will only be made after extensive consultation with our existing and potential clients. Marketing should always drive R&D. That's her motto. Really? Asked the tech guy. Four to six weeks? We can log in and see it then? Terry turned a little pale. Used to dealing with the absolutes of software, he was quite out of his depth in the fog planet of shifty sails. Absolutely, smiled Bill. Terry sat back down and let Bill and Carl finish off the presentation. His mind was racing. Four to six weeks? In the car... Bill and Carl sat in the front seats, congratulating each other on the presentation. Rain washed down the windows. They did not mention the promise of the web interface. Finally, Terry couldn't take it any longer. Where where did that web stuff come from? he asked. Carl turned and grinned. Terry boy, that's why it's so invaluable to have you out on the road. And I might say you did a magnificent job out there in front of the client. First rate, added Bill lighting yet another cigarette. Fuck me if I'm wrong, but I think it's in the bag. But, but we don't have a web solution, cried Terry, gazing dismally outside, almost expecting a racing white rabbit to be keeping pace with the car. Absolutely, said Carl, but you understand how important it is to never say no to a client, and that's what counts. You never say no. You say no, the next asshole says yes, and he gets the contract. But but we've never... Sure, I know that. You know that. Bill knows that. But I also happen to know, don't ask me how, inside jab, that Lyle needs to make his recommendations within two weeks, so they won't have a chance to see our web stuff before we get the jab. Okay, but Ed, said Bill, you'll spend about six months defining their system, by which time I'm sure you can come up with something. And, said Carl, by the time they get their desktop systems installed, they'll be too exhausted from the customization project to start mucking about on the web. Bill grinned. Yeah, like, after that thing gets installed on like 500 machines, they'll be done like dinner. Five hundred? Asked Terry, his cheeks whitening. Sure, they're a big client, said Carl, lifting his huge hands from the wheel and rubbing them together. Much wampum, kimosabe! sabe. But there is no way our system will work for 500 users. Carl waved a hand, returning the other to the wheel. Well, they won't all be logged in at the same time. And Oracle can handle that many, right? asked Carl. Sure, if the code is written in Oracle, but we don't do Oracle. We'll have to download all the data locally for calculations. It'll take forever. So they really should have a web system, said Carl, thoughtfully drumming his fingers on the leather steering wheel. "'We don't have—let's call him this afternoon,' said Bill. "'Say, hey, Lyle, we've done some more thinking, "'and we'd recommend going straight to the web.'" "'Due to the number of users. Nice!' Carl lifted his hand and pointed a forefinger at Bill. Together, they said, "'Because we're thinking of you!' and laughed loudly. In the back seat, Terry took a deep breath. "'Terry, don't be so doom and gloom,' said Carl, glancing in the rearview mirror. We're old hands at this. You have to show a little leg to get picked up. We manage client expectations. That's our job. The web is a better solution, right? Sure, but now, wait a minute. You work on the web, we'll work on the client. And make sure everything comes together, tickety-boo. And remember, kid, grinned Bill, you're working with professionals. Do not try this at home. The two men laughed again, and they drove on a little cube of rolling smoke in the darkening rain. Chapter 58. Alter Gets Phone Calls About Gordon's Thesis Alter's article was published in the October issue of a technical journal, and he began receiving calls almost immediately. The first was from a newspaper in Florida. Professor Parsons? Yes. My name is Ralph Yochum. I work for the Times-Dispatch out of Miami. I'm not really used to this academic beat, but my daughter says that you have an idea which might be thought of as, in her words, radical cool. The man laughed. Do you mean the article in Historical Quarterly? Yeah, I think that's what she said. Now, don't get excited. I don't know if there's a story, but can you tell me in one sentence what this idea is? I couldn't get much out of my daughter. We pay and pay. She just gets more obscure. One sentence? Alder giggled despite himself. It's it's not really a, a one-sentence kind of idea. Didn't some guy once send a famous 250-word cable describing the whole theory of relativity? Yes, but... Oh, okay, okay, well, thanks for your time. Wait, wait, wait a minute, one sentence, okay, okay. Uh, how, how's this? Pe- people who believe there is a higher realm of reality prefer dictatorship to democracy. There was a pause. Okay, got it. You mean heaven. Heaven is one, yes, said Alder, feeling a sick dread and an almost unbearable excitement in his hammering heart. What are some others? Well, a lot of spiritualism, like people who believe that groups should rule over the individual. Yeah, okay, so mystics, religious people. That could be one group, yes, huh. You know, Prof, I know a lot of nice Christians. No, that's not what I mean, every... That every Christian is a fascist. I, it, it it means the beliefs themselves logically end in dictatorship. Right. That's... Well, that's no real human angle, you know? C- can you think of anyone who fits this idea? Ooh, not uh, not off the top of my head. It it was a work of pure philosophy. Huh. Pause. Well, I'll tell you what. You think of someone you let me know. Nice talking to you, Doc. Sure, you too. Alder hung up. He felt a little dizzy. Media convergence. The phone rang again. It was Bez, the department head. Alder just wanted to say congratulations on the article. It'll do you no end of good. Thanks, Dr. Tabarrok. Have you read it yet? Sorry? No, no, not yet. Have you ever been called by the media? Once in a while, expert opinion such as it is. Why? I just got my first call. About your article? Uh Uh-huh. Well, congratulations. What happened? It was a newspaper reporter. He wanted more of a human angle. Sure, sure. Well, you might want to popularize it a little, get it out to a wider audience. Maybe, said Alderaan. I don't know. It's not really what I signed up for. Come on, Bez sighed. Well, it's up to you, of course, but for the greater good. We shouldn't be so ivory tower. Society does pay our bills, you know. Hmm. Let me think about it. Of course. Let me know if I can help. Bez? Yes? I... When will you know about the appointments? You'll have an interview. Alter heard pages flipping. Next week, Friday, 2.30. Great, great, thanks a lot. Take care. The phone rang again. Professor Parsons, he said. Ah, good, no answering machine, said a brisk female voice. Well, Professor Parsons, I just read your article and there's something in here quite remarkable. You are quite a smuggler, you know. Uh, who, who am I talking to? Luella Brisbois, she said. I run the Department of Women's Studies here at Brock. She laughed. You, you know, you are quite sneaky. How so? Well, this bit about higher realities and dictatorship. Did you know that uh, higher realities is a totally male concept? Plato, Kant, Hegel, all those testicle loonies. For a woman, the higher realm is an epidural on the birthing table. <laughs> but you really onto something. If we can say that these male ideas lead to patriarchal... I know, I know, the dreaded P word, governments... We're a long way towards solving the problem of the growth of anti-female, anti-democratic power structures, don't you think? Um, I'd never really thought of it as male or female, she snorted. Pfft, and why would you? Maybe you didn't even know what you've done. No matter. It wouldn't be the first time. But listen, come talk to us. Guest lecture, Spell this idea out. Drop all the pomo rubbish. Yes, we value clarity too. This higher reality business is an old feminist idea, but it would be good to have a man talk about it. Diversity. Can you come? Um, I- I'd be delighted. When? I'd, um, I'll, I'll, I'll have to check my calendar. Put me on hold. Do you have good music? Indigo Girls? N- no. No. Uh, uh h- h- how was next Wednesday? Well, that'll sound good to the Cat Larry committee. Uh, sure. 2 p.m. I'll meet you outside the admissions office. Luella, Brisois. don't care about the doctor part. Great. Done, she said, and hung up. He had just replaced the receiver when it rang again. He picked it up. Professor Parsons? He said. Oh, Great said an enthusiastic female voice. Professor Parsons, my name is Sarah Levy, and I'm a member of the Jewish Defense League. Do you have a moment? Uh, Sure. Well, I've just finished the article, and are you following the latest developments in the Middle East? Is is that a coded word question for are you Jewish, he wondered. A little. Great. I was talking about your text with our board, and we'd like you to come and give a talk. Uh Uh-huh. You'd be the first academic to... She laughed. I know, it sounds odd, a Jew dissing intellectuals, but we haven't found them too helpful in our struggle. The Europeans especially don't get me started. But you've got something here, something we need. What's that? Ah, a modest prof, how special. Well, we've got a big problem with the afterlife, if you know what I mean. Um, no? Jews don't believe in the afterlife. We blow ourselves up, we just make a mess. But Muslims, they believe that they go straight to heaven and reserve 72 spots for their nearest and dearest. So you argue that mysticism leads to violence... That's really interesting to us. I mean, we're religious, most of us, but not mystical, at least not in the way our Islamic brethren are. But don't you have more pressing issues? Yes, of course. I'm not on the board. But I think, and they've given me the go-ahead for this, that we have to wage war not just on the ground, but in men's minds. She laughed. Oh, listen to me. People's minds. Especially now that they're pretending to be pregnant to blow us up. So come and talk to us, and we'll put some enterprising grad students at your disposal, and we'll all show just... How much the mystical Muslims oppose our noble rationalism. You name the day. I. I, I'll need a little. a little more information. So, we'll do lunch. The woman paused. I mean, you do have the courage of your convictions, right? Sure, I'll send little Gordy, thought Alder, almost giggling. He took down the woman's number and promised to call her back. Alder sat back. Gosh! Four phone calls in half an hour. He tried adding up how long, excluding his wife, it took for the last four to occur and then gave up suddenly totally depressed the phone calls kept coming all afternoon something of the great idea had survived in his article people recognized it it was like a musak version of a masterpiece something missing of course but still catchy that evening he confessed his success to joanne stephen was at the table oh lord that's great alder she said where did you get your idea dad asked stephen it just came, you know, like uh, like how a tune gets into your head. Joanne frowned, thinking, Oh, don't be condescending, Alder, that only cranks him up. Stephen stared at his father. It's just that you've been saying that being a professor can be really boring, and it wasn't what you were thinking of when you started. Alder laughed. Sure, it has its ups and downs. When did I say that? Stephen fished out his notepad. No, that that's okay, Stevie, sighed Joanne. Let's just be happy for Daddy. So, what happens now? Alda shrugged, grinning. Well, I have a number of speaking invitations. The calls I got today. Everyone thinks that if I made it more popular, it would be. It would be, uh, well, better, easier to sell. Can you do that? Sure. Well, I, I think so. It's tough. You, you know what Lincoln said? Sorry this letter is so long, I didn't have time to make it shorter. That was Churchill, said Stephen. So where did you get this idea? Alder blinked. It's such a simple question, you'd think I'd have figured it out. You wouldn't believe me. Stephen smiled. Okay, said Alder. It came in a dream. He continued looking at his father, quite sweetly. A man in long white robes came down from a high mountain and held up a tablet of rules, and when I took them from him, his arm stayed up and I realized it was a Nazi salute. Stephen frowned. The idea worked its way into him. But I don't know what the idea is, he said. Joanne ruffled her son's hair. Oh, it's that if you believe in heaven, you end up wanting, uh, what? Alda smiled, taking away people's votes, putting them in prison if they disagree with you, burning books, that sort of thing. Stephen nodded slowly. Because... Because you... uh, Can't get people to agree with you if you can't argue and have some truth you both agree on believe in but not just believe in proof he shook his head slightly alder stared at his son his jaw dropped completely holy shit i should have come to him first that's very good son very close he frowned. What's missing? Now, now, said Joanne, we've just stopped discussing the moral strike. Let's not spend our entire lives up to our eyeballs in ideas. Let's let loose and go out for dessert. Stephen got up, but could not keep his eyes off his father, and before they left, excused himself to the bathroom and wrote three pages in his notebook, feverishly fast.